It is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad you've tuned into the show today. We appreciate it very much. Hope you can stay with us for the whole hour. We'll be on until 10 o'clock Eastern Time here on We Are Just Christians. This today's show is not a live show as we normally are, so there won't be any. I'm not going to give you the phone numbers to call in and bother Ray there with at the station. But uh, we normally are live and we we take calls, but today we can't do that. I'm just recovering from back surgery, so uh, not able to, to do that live. So we prepared ahead of time and recorded this show last week. In any event, you will probably present some things today for you to listen to that will be a benefit to you. And I would even suggest, given the nature of things we're going to talk about, get out a piece of paper and a pencil. And you can write down some of these words or verses we're going to use and look them up. Hope you hope you do that all the time. The most valuable things that we cover on this show are obviously the scriptures that we read or refer to. Because you can always gain something from them inside from God. And, and so we'd encourage you to go ahead and... Write those scriptures down as we use them here on We Are Just Christians. But my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm one of the elders and the preacher for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard in Port St. Lucie. And Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this afternoon. This afternoon, <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it is different because it's not, a, not the morning. But anyway, Gary is a, uh, the usual partner on the show, and Gary's here today. And, and we'll be presenting some things for you. You can. I'm going to tell you something a little bit to ahead of time because since we can't give you the numbers, I want to give you our website address, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. You can go there and you can get all kind of information about the church, different Bible study resources. You can find um, these sermon, these radio shows recorded for you to listen to. Uh, you can. Or download, I believe you can also find it. We are just Christians.com. You can also find uh, sermons that are preached there at the church on many subjects. You can search for different subjects back going back several years to listen to full expositions on various subjects and topics and scriptures there at We are just Christians.com. We'd invite you to do that, and we'd also invite you to come and be with us for our regular worship services. We, we meet three times during the week. Uh, as a church, and we meet at Bible for Bible study at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We meet at 11 o'clock for our regular worship with the communion and, a, and preaching. Uh, and, of course, and we always have a cappella singing at all these services. And then at 7.30 on Wednesday night, we meet for Bible classes again. Those Bible classes are not only for adults, but they're also for your children, broken out into age groups. We have a very great Bible curriculum that the, that the teachers have prepared for your children uh, if you'll bring them to the Bible classes at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and, and at 7.30 on Wednesday night. Our building is at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, and we would invite you to come and be with us. Well, Gary, you said a moment ago that you had a topic you wanted to discuss, so uh, have at it here. Well, basically, Mike, a couple of weeks or maybe more ago, we read a scripture, and it contained the word meek in it. And my thoughts were at the time, well, Boy, what a misunderstood word that that might be sometimes because basically I struggled with it early on as a Christian because when you read, like the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 5, he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. We have an understanding in our modern 
day English of Meek that really, in my view, and chime in if you feel differently, Mike, really, in my view, doesn't match the scriptural usage of it. No, most people think it means weak. Yes. Or just being quiet, being an introvert. They think meekness is being an introvert or being quiet, and that isn't what it means. Well, even if you go to Webster, the Webster's definition actually uses the word deficient in spirit and strength, not strong. Basically, when they use that. Well, of course, if you define words a certain way, that might be true, but that's not how the. That's not how it's used, and and I think when we have a cursory reading of the scripture, sometimes it uh, it leads us astray. So when I was reading through the Psalms, and, and Mike, this came about doing a class on Psalm 37, and I came through verses 9 through 11 of Psalm 37. And as much as I hate to just read Scripture, I'm going to read, you know, those three verses here so you get an idea. Turn, if you're listening, turn, look at it. I'm reading from the New King James. Uh, basically, Psalm 37, 9 through 11, For evil doers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, there were similarities in there. It says, those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth, in verse 9. Verse 11 says, the meek shall inherit the earth. And basically, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5. And this kind of points out one of the things I've been trying to say about Old Testament and Jesus' usage of words. He uses a lot of the phrases and exactly the words and ideas out of the Old Testament, more so than we think, or more so than we give thought to. It is generally generally thought, yes. Generally thought to. And so this kind of made me think about that definition of meek. And um, so I'm going to kind of look at some of the connections that are going along there. Let me interrupt you just for a yeah, second. Go right your train of thought. I think why this subject is important at this juncture in time, in my own opinion, is because we've been inundated in the last few years with the idea that if you're really a Christian, you'll just keep your mouth shut, not object to anything that's going on, be quiet and be docile and let people say whatever they want to about the Lord and let them do whatever they want to with your children, that that's what meekness is. And you should be like Jesus, you know, and always be uh, the one who is giving in and quiet and not objecting to anything. And if you raise your voice or get up or or, obje- or uh, expect something to be different, that you're not really a Christian. You, and I think that's where you're coming from a little that's, bit, isn't that's, it? Here? That's where I'm and, coming from. And so, from. It, does that is that really what it means to be meek? Does it mean to be weak and quiet and say nothing? What does the word meek? If you're going to be like Jesus, what what's that really like? What's it look like? So anyway, go ahead. Well, this, and and that's where that's I'm, the background that we're talking yeah, about. This that's morning. really where I'm going with this. I'm going to look at the definitions from the lexicons, but. And and some of the Old Testament lexicon definitions kind of confused me, I have to admit, because uh, they didn't seem to even match what I was seeing everywhere that it was used. Some but, of that be because a lot of them were written up 100 years ago, and right. people's definitions have changed a and, lot. And even that, and I'm going to go through some of the Webster's definitions, too, which may kind of surprise you. you know, that word docile had a little bit of something, a meaning that I didn't even think about, but it's used in the definitions. And also, Mike, the other importance here in what I'm doing, and this is this is a way we have to study the Bible. 
we can't yeah. always just use our own you definitions. You can't make up your own definitions for words. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially the common one today may not all correspond to what it meant at the time it was written. Exactly. And, and so, anyway, that's why you need a Greek lexicon or a Hebrew lexicon and translate into your language. And you mentioned, so what does this look like in the Bible? And there are two men that are described as meek in the Bible. There's Jesus and, whether you think about it or not, Moses. He was described as the meekest man on the earth. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah. I think that's Numbers 12 and, well, we'll 12, get to 9 it. or something like that. Yeah, I something like look that. look it up in a second. But it's, it's kind of a way to study. So as we go through this, think about it. There are connections between all these verses. Who would have thought... When you first started reading Psalm, when I first started reading Psalm 37, that I would be as far away as Numbers describing Moses and Hebrews who described Moses' life, and might even refer to Cecil B. DeMille's movie talking about Moses' life. Uh, and then let's look at Christ. Well, you are going back in time, Gary. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> but and even looking at Jesus' life um, and what he did and and often kind of, I think, misportrayed like you were, you were suggesting. So what does meek mean? Well, we've already mentioned Matthew 5, 5. Uh, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth in the New King James. But in the Old Testament from Psalm 37, that meek is Strong's number 6035. Now, I'm going to get kind of geeky here because the, the actual words used in these definitions are kind of important if we're going to try to understand and what to look for. Just as a side note for people that are listening and not familiar with this, a man named Strong in in the 1800s, early 1900s, wrote a reference work where he he basically gave a number to every word in both the Old and New Testaments in Hebrew and or Greek and and, and then marked in a Bible, every place that that word or its cognate words were used. Exactly. So you could look up and say, here's the word meek. Now it's on a computer, see? So it's easy to do. Now I got the big, huge books on my desk with these. So do I. But the, old, right. the old red strong. Right. But, th- but they are, you can go look at each word in the Bible uh, and say, what does that word mean in the original language? So then he links it to a brief definition of the word and some other references. Right. Vine's expository dictionary takes those strong words and gives you an expanded definition and cross-references of most of those words. And Vine's w- expository dictionary. Those are just reference works that, that stu- studious Christians ought to have and, and you, either on your computer or on your desk, you know. Yes, and, and that's what Gary's using here. And Vines also will tell you the differences in their usage and give you the locations and scriptures that they're used. Right, and you suggestions. can cross-reference that with some other things and see which one, how often they're used and where they're used and all that kind of stuff. That's what Gary's referring to when he says strong numbers. And and there is if you've got a uh, if you've got a good computer program, there's something called an Englishman search where you put in this Strong's number, and it will tell you, no matter how it's translated, it'll tell you the scripture. That it's right, and you don't in. need to know Greek or Hebrew to use these. That's one of the main right. points. You, you, can you don't get, need you to know You can those. get the definitions. I have never formally studied Greek or Hebrew. Mike has, but I have never studied So it. you'll see those odd words there, and you won't be able to read them if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, but you don't need to know. And I can't pronounce them, but I know right. the number. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, this uh, this Greek word uh, is given the number OT, um, basically 6035, and that's from Psalm 37 and 11. It's also used in Zephaniah 2.3, and we may, may cover that, but it's used in Numbers 12.3 in referring to Moses, which is interesting because in Numbers 12.3 in the King James Version, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, do you think? Do you usually think of Moses as meek, Mike? No, most people think of him as the with the big tablets of stone over his head and a rage <laughs> crashing the tablets down, right? Right. In the movie you mentioned, or right. right? And and we also seem, and we'll talk about it later. He was known for a while as the daughter of Pharaoh. He was now, in line to be right, Pharaoh right. for a while. Now, the New King James translates that Moses was very humble. Right. More than all the men on the face of the earth. Same but, word. Exactly same, same word. word in Greek. You, right. Or Hebrew, I mean. But humble and meek. So, so anyway, don't get hung up on... On the, exactly what that yeah, that's word the, is. It means the same in that essence. It's a synonym. But go ahead. You don't think of Moses, though, as being meek because he's not quiet. He's not a backwards per an introvert, you know, or those kind of things. And a lot of times these definitions like the 6035 references another number like 6041 or 6031 that you need to go see because they're similar words or similar usage or a different kind of verb or noun. And there are different voices in Greek and different things in the Old Testament. They would be what I would call cognates sometimes, like humbler, humblest, humble. Uh, meek too, or meekness. Too humble. You know, you've got the verb and noun forms of the same words, and sometimes they're put into, sometimes you get put into a con, um, compound words, not this one, but, you know, you're, that's that's the cognate. It's the basic word, though. Okay, but this, this the basic definition of 6035 from Strong's is depressed in mind or circumstances. That's what it says. Needy, specially, saintly. It's depressed, and when you look at some of these other suggested words like uh, 6041, you get the same basic definition. You get uh, what it says, depressed in mind mm-hmm. or circumstances. Right. Pushed but, down. Yeah. Right, but there's a difference between these two, and basically Strong's makes the note that Old Testament 6035 is subjective, and Old Testament 6041 is objective, and yet they're translated the same way and using the same words in a lot of... So what does that mean, Mike? When when you think of something that's subjective, what do you think? And when you think of something that's objective, what do you think? Well, I would would say this. I don't know if this is what you're getting at. I would say, because it's a couple of places, like in Isaiah, it talks about reproving with the equity for the meek. He's talking about what we would call the poor or the lower classes, the powerless people in society. They don't have any power. They don't have any authority. They have no standing. They are, in fact, poor and have no... So they're literally depressed, literally pushed down is the idea. Whereas the other verses, internally, subjectively, they're internally humble. It's it's different. In appearance or not in reality that way. As far as the world standards, a person who who is poor is humbled, and lowly in humbled, behavior yeah. and, and so, so on. Hum- to be humbled could be refer to your financial circumstances 
or in your fact, status, in fact, in fact, or can refer to your internal circumstances, circumstances as, as, as an apparent in behavior right. or something right. like that. And that's where I was going and that's with true it. with meek, too. It can and be that's true same. with meek, too. And this word that is applied to Moses is one that is subjective. It's a within characteristic. Right not something that is, in fact, a characteristic. He was not necessarily a physically weak man. He was something else. I don't know how much you're going to say about Moses, but I would make a... a, a no, go right ahead. Go right, All right ahead. Let me, here's, the, here's how this word is really interesting in, in application to Moses, that when he was a young man and he figured out that he was a Hebrew, in fact, he was not meek at all. He was Pharaoh's son. He was powerful. He was going to change the world and set his people free and even murdered a man because of this. And that's exactly what I want to point out. In his strength, he murdered a man. Then he had to flee to the desert, and that became a very humbling experience that turned him, I think, into a meek man. So when his brother, when God comes to the burning bushes, and I want you to go set my people free and go talk to Pharaoh. He says, I'm he, not worthy. He says, I'm not worthy. I can't do that. He'd already learned his lesson. I, I don't have the power or the strength. And God says, you don't worry. You go, you're going to go in my strength. You're going to tell them what I say. Now Moses could be truly meek internally. And and, as well as and, and so what? When he went, he went before Moses with, with Aaron, and they actually dictated to the right. pharaoh of egypt so when he was exalted in the outward circumstances he was he was uh, uh he was a different kind of different man. person when he became humbled in his outward circumstances he became actually stronger than he was before but he was he he was now in a position where he spoke the word of god so he, he was spoke in a for god of meekness, yes uh-huh. an inter- and Moses is a great character for that reason. Anyway, go ahead. I probably and, and so talk now, about what now, you want to talk about. Well, that's what I was going to know. What is the characteristic of Moses that we would call meek? He had strength of character. He was not a weak character man. And he was not necessarily weak physically, but he ex- he exerted power in in other places and in other ways. So these are the things that we don't necessarily think about when we look at the modern definitions of weak. So this Old Testament 6041 in Vines actually says, Vines calls it poor, weak, afflicted, afflicted, and humble. So it uses that word weak in the absolute sense in 6041, which is the objective one, in fact. Okay, so sometimes we get the wrong impression from some of these words, and that's the point I'm trying to make as we go through some of these things. When I looked at, <laughs> this is really, if you, go to, if you go to Webster, you can get really off the track because basically meek and Webster is enduring injury and patience without resentment, mild, deficient in spirit and courage. That's what Webster says. That's not the Bible usage of it. In term, it's certainly in terms of Moses and not in terms of Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit about Jesus' life. He says uh, meek in, in Webster is not violent, not strong. So that there, you know, this kind of leads you off in the wrong direction, and that's why I'm saying these these are not necessarily uses. So I, I started looking up some of these things. Uh, Basically, when we get to the New Testament, we'll bring up the Greek word. The Greek word is apparently mild, uh, humble. 
in, I think that's New Testament 42:39, and it's from some of the points in Matthew, Matthew 21 and 5 uh, that you use. We'll talk about those. But basically, when we look at 2 Corinthians 10 and 1, talking about Jesus, and I've switched over from Moses to Jesus because we're talking about the same word. Now we're talking in Greek, not in Hebrew. And Paul's, and now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Right. So he talks about Christ being having meekness about him. Uh, and he talks about... Uh, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, and this is the word, this is the Greek word, and I'm going to quote the King James. Now, the New King James is going to use a different word. American Standard may use humble, may use lowly, may use gentle in those places. But in the King James, this is the same Greek word that was used in the Corinthian note. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, Jesus is speaking, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus makes that claim. And basically, I think it's translated gentle in the New King James, or I am gentle and lowly in heart. So what's the definition we get of these things? What is our... You, you know, think, my own opinion, I think the King James translators may have went to gentle because it, meekness was un, misunderstood. Of course, gentleness can be misunderstood, too. Yeah, but, both of them can. Well, I looked up gentle in, in Merriam-Webster, and it says, free from harshness, sternness, or violence. That, that it says docile. Huh? Docile. Yeah, docile, okay. That doesn't really. Docile, fit. tractable. And the example is a gentle horse. And I want yeah. to tell you, remember that one. Right. Remember that because I'm going to use that later. Gentle is also considered delicate or soft. And I'm, I don't see that in some of these. Uh, it says belonging to a family of high social station, honorable or distinguished. Now I did consider Jesus honorable and distinguished, kind and amiable. Those words did fit within. I guess it's like the word gentleman. Yes. As opposed to a wild man or uncultivated, unpredictable man. So if you look up mild, you get the word gentle in nature or behavior, moderate in action or effect, not mm-hmm. sharp or something like right. that, not severe. Um, and so I wanted to bring this up, but docile. Remember when we mentioned docile? You said docile. Docile in Webster is easily taught, easily led, or managed, which I didn't think about that when I was looking at this, and yet I see that in some... For instance, one passage in John eight twenty eight, Jesus says, uh, then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I am nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Jesus said, my Father taught me these things. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say, everything that I'm saying, the Father told me what to say. So when he's Jesus is now, what I would say, willing to speak out like we talked about earlier, willing to talk, willing to learn from the Father. It also says, I think, in Philippians, and I haven't let this mind be in you, Jesus, who did not think it robbery to be equal to God, but basically learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Jesus was a learner. And so I'm I'm associating this with meek too. 
Mm-hmm. A meek person is one willing to learn, one willing to be led. Yeah, people that aren't meek already know it all. Yes. And so I, I'm getting some character out of this. Uh, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And I think he's emphasizing that idea when he says, learn from me. In Matthew 21, in verse 5, he says, uh, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, a, foal, a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus was not indeed one of those high-born or high-minded people. If he, He's a king, but he's not that kind of king. So he says, But as my father taught me, I learned. That's, again, John 8 and 28. Note that, because I think that's an important part of what Jesus says. Let's talk a little bit about Jesus. When he was uh, in the garden and they came to to take him away to the trial and to crucify him, there was an incident there where uh, Peter cuts off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. And Jesus says this. He says, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? You know, Mike, we've studied here in John that probably by the time we put all these scriptures together, it's, it's not unreasonable to think that they came out to take Jesus, one among 11 or 12 people maybe, with somewhere, somewhere between 150 and 300 men. A rather large crowd. Right. And what does he say here? And he will, I can now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. What does this indicate about him? He did not have to do this. Restraint, control. He was doing what his father had taught him and wanted him to do. Jesus says, I always do what the father wants. Yes, and I was thinking about this because I've, thought you would probably use that reference because um, Jesus' meekness is shown in that he had the power He had destroy. the power. It's not being weak, but he, he stayed within his purpose because uh, he, he withered a fig tree. He, he spoke and withered a fig tree to nothing just by speaking, but he didn't come to hurt men. His object when he first came that we read about in the Bible was to seek and to save those that were lost. Well, the following, I didn't come to judge the world, he says. I came to save the world. He so came, therefore, use restraint in that regard. Well, he came to do what the Father told him to well, do. And th- that was his mission the first time, to come to save. And so he showed restraint and did not call the angels and told Peter to put his sword away because the purpose of the Father at that point was for him to die. Now, he's coming again, Gary, though. That's not the only coming. He's coming the second time to judge. Right. So now we won't see the same disposition because he's coming with flaming fire and angels the second time. We won't see the same because of meekness. He'll still he'll be doing what the father wants him to do. And the second time is to destroy those who have opposed the father. So, so there'll the, be a difference in the two comings. Right. The aspect of the meek is he is under the control of the Father. He'll use his power the second the time. time. It, well, but, that, he'll but use he that has destructive it. power the second time. But he has it. He has it has at it. his hand. He had it the first time. He just didn't use it because he was meek. Right. 
in verse 54, which follows that very line, he says, how then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Right. His mission was to fulfill the scripture and do what the Father said. A, a lot of men that we think are strong are men, though, that can be easily provoked to do things that they later regret. Because they're strong, they know that they are strong, they can be easily provoked by someone who wants to do it to use violence, and then that sets a trap for them. A meek person, even though he can, doesn't use that power. He's like that, well, you're going to come to this horse, this war horse. But right. That's, I, I, that's, I'm headed that way. Yeah, I know. Right, I mean, go ahead. But basically, I want to look at another incident. This is the one that, that impresses me most about what we should be doing, that we should be speaking out for God as well. Um, when he was in the garden and they ask who is, we've come for Jesus, and he says, I am he. What happened to those guys? Well, they fell flat on their face because of his answer and the way that he could project himself. He's now in John 19 in front of Pilate, and beginning in verse 10. Right. And he says, then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Look at what Jesus says. He answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And and I think Pilate left in fear. He left Jesus at that point. And I think he left in fear. He but, sensed that he could do a lot more than he's saying he could yes. do. Yes. He had heard about the story he could do. Yes. I mean, someone who could raise the dead... You know, this is cast out demons, do all the things that he had done. And yet he speaks this way to Pilate. That's another one of those things that he had the courage to stand before Pilate and say, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above, instead of pleading for his life. Right, right. This, again, is part of being meek, in my view. Yes, it is. It is part of being meek. And so when we look at these things, and, and there are several others, one of them, I mean, here again, I'm going to say now the, uh, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, this is just my picture and my mind of this. When I was uh, eight years old, nine years old, I made myself a whip out of leather strips, and I learned to crack that whip. And I didn't know what made it crack. I, I thought I would pull that whip back and it would flip around and hit itself and crack it's that's not the way whips crack they they actually the tip of the whip breaks the sound barrier and what you're hearing is a minor sonic wave or a minor Mm -hmm. sound barrier Mm -hmm. i I see jesus is making a whip of cords and i can just hear it cracking as he goes through those tables this is not the picture of what we generally hold of a meek man he could have destroyed all of them though right he could have done far worse there was restraint in this, but he was acting for God, not just in speaking. Right. He was putting them out of the temple. And here's right. another characteristic of being meek. This is strength and power 
exercised at the command of God, I think, are for God. That's another one of those things I've seen. Now, you may have some other examples. I, I, those are the ones that I kind of uh, stopped with Jesus at. Well, uh, it's, yeah, that, the main one I was thinking of is that case of the 72,000 angels. That's about what the twelve, 12, the 12 legions. Twelve of, legions is about six thousand per legion. Some say more, but how many angels would he have needed? One, not even a big one. Probably not. Because when you one. see these one angels <laughs> appearing, one angel appearing to other men in the Bible, they fall flat on the ground like they're dead. You right. Know? So he wouldn't have needed seventy-two. And his point was exaggerating. So I can I, I can overwhelm anyone, and the question is, you know, what did. What did they think about that? And, and of course, they don't have to. They didn't believe him. Right. That's the problem. That they didn't believe him because the world, the worldly people tend to be influenced by worldly things like money or power or strength or weaponry. Worldly people are only influenced by those loud speaking. But, but, uh, that's not where the strength of God lies in any of those things. That's not where our strength as Christians lies for sure. But I don't think it lies also in just being gentler with the world in the sense that we just need to sit back and, and not be, not be, uh, not call anybody's hand on the lies they're telling about God or spiritual things and, and all of that. That's not where it is. Uh, you know, I think I played it on a father's day sermon here a few weeks ago, Gary, uh, if I can do it, get it in front of me here a little short interview that Jordan Peterson had with Todd Stossel about he he is Jordan Peterson says young men should grow up to be dangerous that's his word young men need to be become dangerous and of course the world hears the word dangerous since they're worldly the only thing they can think of is guns right and so they he asked Peterson about this I'm not going to play it but perhaps I can read it he says um uh, are you are you saying you said men should be dangerous, and by dangerous that implies that I should be ready to threaten people to hurt somebody? And he said you should. And Peterson says you should be capable of it. Okay, you don't have to be doing it, but you should be capable of hurting somebody. And uh, well, now I can't get it to do it. So. Um, in well, any event, let me see if I can get Actually, this I think that's what was shown in the cleansing of the temple. He was capable of doing some very harsh things, but he, yes. he did not, as in general, do those things. So it says, uh, um, let me see if I can get this. Oh, I keep doing it wrong, Gary. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to play this video without having any sound and getting it correct, and it's just not really working. But uh, he said, you, you can't claim to be... Uh, strong if you just don't do anything and and because you're weak well then you're not you're not actually strong at all so you should be capable of doing something wrong but that doesn't mean you should use the strength you otherwise he says you should be a formidable force but he says there's no morality in self-control if you're incapable of violence you know it's not really a, a virtue in martial arts, they teach you to learn to be dangerous, but also learn to control it, to come together. That combination, he's saying, the capacity for danger, but also for control is what brings about virtue. Otherwise, it's just meekness, you see. 
well, not weakness, but it's just weakness. Weakness. This is not how it works at, at all. If you're harmless, you're just weak. If you're weak, you're not going to be good. You can't be good because it takes strength to be good. It's very difficult to be good. And I happen to agree with that. I think that's what it is. We Christians should be capable, as especially teach our sons, to be capable of protecting their families, protecting their nation, of protecting other people, whether whatever strength it takes, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's uh, uh, other verbal strength, we should be willing and able to wield that in the in the fight for good, to do what's right. That's what Jesus did in all those areas. But we should have that under control so that our own petty angers, anger and grievances don't bring out this this violence. But there is a time for Christians to be strong and bold. And that's meekness, having it under control. That's what I want my yeah. sons to be. I want my, want my sons, and they are, to be the kind of men that when when necessary, they'll be extremely, and, and to other people who know them day to day, they'll be surprisingly powerful because they've kept all that strength under complete control all the time. But when necessary, they, will, they might shock a few people with their strength. That's the kind of man we ought to be, I think. And, and, I, and that's and I, meek. Right, and I think that's embodied in Moses, too. Yes, I think it is embodied in most. That kind of person is ultimately going to be a leader of sorts. Yes. He's going to be, but he's going to be a, what I would call a gentle leader. The difference between Moses before his murder, as it were, and after is, though, that his strength was under the control of God, and therefore it was a force for moral good and goodness, not for wickedness. And yeah, he only used it that. The, uh, when his temper got out of control, the one time he fell and he, struck he, the rock instead of speaking to it when God told him to, and, sa- and said, must we bring forth water from this rock? He As didn't if, give credit to he God. He didn't give credit to God. That's why, he, that's why he was kept out of the promised land, because he went back and forgot who he was. So this is an important lesson that I think, now, there's a bigger issue here in churches. I think a lot of Christian churches in my lifetime around, I'm using the word Christian in the broad sense. I don't believe all these churches are actually churches of Christ, but I believe that they're trying to be Christian. And I think that they have failed many ways because the, they've taught the men in those churches that they ought to be weak and feminized in a way. And men aren't attracted to that kind of weakness. They would they would be attracted to service and to strength, but not to that kind of weakness. And, and in, in a church that would let the men be men would do well. Well, it, it, not only in churches. I think it's being done in our school system. It, everywhere. It's everywhere. everywhere. Yes. It's not being done just there. And so everywhere. young men are basically are useless. They have all this strength, and they don't they don't know how to use it. So they pick up a gun or a fight, or 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 they're afraid to use it. So they play video games, and they won't try to excel. They have to. They, and they live with their parents until so they're let thirty young men years old. Have teach your young, the young men to have enough courage to take the, as we say, the slings and arrows of criticism, of being a man. You know, even someone like me, and I am certainly not even Gary would allow. I'm not even close to a physical specimen of any kind. I, goodness, I was a debate star in high school, not an athlete or anything like that. But uh, people are surprised if I've had to take the criticism of because I've been willing at times to stand up and say, no, that's wrong, this is what's right, and take the heat for that. 
And it shouldn't be that way. But people are surprised. Anytime a man stands up and says no, you know, it's like the world falls apart. I think that's what's wrong, part of what's wrong with us. Nobody's willing to stand up and say this is wrong. That's exactly what's wrong with what we see now. All this woke, all these woke ideas. Man, I'm telling you, it just people like my grandfather and my father and and my uh, mother's brothers, big strong men. I hardly ever saw them at the point of anger. You know what I'm saying? Because they were under control. But boy, a time or two when I did see them angry, or perturbed by something that was not not trivial things either yes it was formidable and i knew right away they could do a lot more than they're doing and it would be hard to whether it's physical or verbal or any other way and that's what a man is that that's what made my mother and grandmother and aunts feel safe that's what they loved about them because they were actual men and uh, and those men are what give the nation its character right those men are what give the nation its character. When, when Yamamoto said about the U.S. after the attack on Pearl Harbor, I fear all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant and instill in him a terrible resolve, he understood what was going to yes. happen. Now, now the, on the other side of this coin, lest we not give it its full meaning here, women are called to be meek too. Yes. Female meekness is still strength under control. So females need to be taught, young girls need to be taught how to be strong as a woman and and with resolve, with godly resolve, and not be moved by things like fashion or beauty tips on Instagram or the latest fad. They need to be taught to be strong with, reserve, with resolve and not move away from the truth. And they, they're going to, young women are going to have to have that kind of strength over and over again in, in raising children dealing with their husband and finding battles, they're going to need the same strength. It just looks different in a woman than it does in a man on the outside. But it's that same strength under control. I, I just I'm, I have always been amazed by the strength that people like my grandmother showed and my mother, who, um, although they were housewives, as it were, they, sh- they showed great strength in enduring suffering and disappointment and serving others and putting themselves second, they showed great strength there. That it was was a big influence on my life growing up, and helped me choose the kind of mate that I did. That's always been strong and by my side. You know, people think I'm the strong one. No, it's not me that's the strong one. It's my wife, because and she's by my side. So that together we make a pretty good team. That's the way marriages should be. Gary's marriage is the same way. But that's because there's meekness there, not self-centeredness, not shallowness, strength under restraint. Well, it's, I'm, uh, I'm preaching, Gary. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, it's, that's one of the things we haven't covered yet, and we didn't cover it with Jesus that much. But endurance is what God's looking for. He's looking for, you know, what did he say about Jesus? He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He endured those things. And and that's one of the examples to us. You know, the okay. thing about Jesus, too. You, uh, he, and I'm looking they, for that verse. I, I should which have one are you it. looking for? The one about he learned obedience through the things that uh, he suffered. I think that's Hebrews 5, verse 8. You could try that. Uh, they... Uh, 
But the thing about Jesus is, too. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Okay, that's the reference. That's the reference, and that's and that's endurance. The things that he endured, um, he suffered many things, so he endured those things, and he learned he learned to obey in that. See, he he was constantly being challenged. You know, prove you're the son of God. Prove you're the son of God. And what a temptation it might must have been for him, just to turn around and point a finger at that person and turn into ashes in front of everybody else. See, he could have proven. Okay, you want to see what God can do? Here's what God can do. Boom. He he doesn't do that. He if he doesn't can take even, a withered hand and turn it into a good hand immediately, the, he could do it in reverse. He too. could, yes, that's, and he could destroy the whole. But but the, he only did the turning it into a good hand in a way. But did that work? Well, I don't know. Had he done the kind of miracles they were wanted him to do, some showy, flashy thing, he knew that they wouldn't believe him anyway. But it must have been tempting to. To do those Prove things. it right there in front of their face. Yeah. And most of us, big, a lot of the big shots that we all have known growing up, you know, that kind of taunt you and point in your face, they, they look like they're so strong, but they don't have any of, of that real self-control. And Jesus was able to control his actions and and only obey the will of the Father. So, and. And that's the secret to being meek, as you as you mentioned before. So, so we learned endurance. We also think I think you look at uh, Moses. He learned endurance through how 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 long did he have to deal with those people and wandering through the in the wilderness? Um, because they would not believe or obey. Also, so he had to stay with them to lead them through that. I'd like to go on to Moses because we're kind of running out of time. But I'm going to go to Hebrews 11, which is uh, verse 24 beginning, because it kind of summarizes uh, the reason Moses did this. He says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ. That's that's an unusual wording for that esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked forward to the reward. Well, the interesting thing is he's talking about Christ in reference to Moses who lived right. 1,500 exactly. years before Part, Moses, I mean before Christ. Yeah, it's it's exactly. He, he, he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter because he held to God. Right. And he looked forward to a reward that God gave him that was going to be different from the reward that he would receive as Pharaoh or as a high-ranking Egyptian. I think I've said this before in my old Bible that I used for 25 years. Well, let me read this passage. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me read this. Deuteronomy 34, 5 through 8. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows this this his grave to this day. So I have written in the margin of my Bible, he could have had a pyramid. Exactly. If he'd stayed in Egypt, he could have could had have a pyramid. pyramid. Instead, what he got was, no one even knows where his grave is, because he was a meek man. He was doing God's will, and yeah. it all was what it is. And I think that's, one of the, that's another one of those great illustrations. Great illustrations. 
of, of what we're looking for here. Yes, and, and uh, he 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 was willing to forsake Egypt and didn't fear the wrath of the king. So you can say, well, he was a meek man. Well, uh, he he uh, he didn't forsake Egypt though because he was weak. He forsook Egypt because he knew he didn't have a life there anymore. And by faith he forsook Egypt. It says by faith, faith he forsook he did Egypt these things. in God. He knew he didn't need to be there. And so anyway, uh, this Moses is a great man and a very much a type of Christ in his life and in this meekness. But like I say, even when I was young and I read that verse that Moses was the meekest man on the earth, I just like, I remember thinking, what does that mean? I didn't understand when I was first When mean? I first became a Christian, I struggled with the fact yeah. that Jesus was, was uh, meek and lowly yeah. and riding on a donkey. And then I think that... You know, I think the lowly part there, and meek, the meek and lowly part is, I, I would say that if Jesus was here on the earth, he wouldn't mind shopping at Goodwill and driving a very used car. He wouldn't mind driving a used Kia. It wouldn't bother him. He wouldn't have to have a new car or a name per car or have labels for in his clothes because he was lowly none of those things mattered to him that that stuff that the things that people think matter so much didn't matter to jesus at all that's what it means by he says to the person Mm -hmm. you know the foxes have have holes and and all that because i don't even have a place to lay my head because he he didn't they didn't matter to him he was doing something else. He had a different kind of character. He'd Moses be, appears to be the same kind of man. He could be, have had all that, but he didn't have it. He didn't. He, well, Jesus could have been riding the subway, would have been riding the subway rather than a limousine. Right. So you, that, you, that's, yes. People would, and truth is, people would be so much happier if they could figure out a way to rid themselves of that desire to only eat in certain places, only eat certain kind of food, only wear a certain kind of clothes of a certain vintage, and have to have a certain kind of house, a certain kind of... If we could rid ourselves of that desire for those things, we would be so much happier. Um, we, I, do you we, think we, that's yes, right? But we really so need, much happier. It, it, you need to replace that desire with a desire for God and His rewards. So they would instead of taking, and, and I think that's what it says about instead Moses. Instead of taking joy that. in those, yes, instead of taking joy in those things, you take joy in doing something good for someone else or seeing someone someone else have joy or get, being generous and giving things away. You take joy in the simple things, dinner with your family or with friends. You take. joy joy in those things not the other that because all those other things have spiritual value they don't have material value but they have spiritual value okay and so that makes makes it all worthwhile and and that's the part that is missed even look there's a there's a website gary i think it's called preachers sneakers website Something I'll look at, and it's a guy. A guy started watching videos of all the, of these mega church preachers on stage mm-hmm. on YouTube, watching all these videos, and he began to notice the sneakers that they have on. I never even look at that stuff, but he started noticing the sneakers and the brands, and he started looking at them. They're all wearing five hundred dollar to two thousand dollar sneakers of preaching sermons. Can you can you imagine Gary spending two thousand dollars for a pair of sneakers just because it's a certain type of sneaker? 
Can, can you do? Can you? I can't pick. Well, I can't even uh, understand the concept. And then claiming <laughs> that you're just a humble servant of God. But so he, he puts this website. And he's always publishing these preachers' uh, sneakers things, and and people got mad at him about it. That he was ripping on these so-called men of God, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to chase a rabbit here. We're no. running out of time. I, I want to go through this first. I want to draw our listeners' attention to an article that was written by a man named Sam Watley. Uh, and I want you to look this up. The title of the article is Meek Like a War Horse. Oh, yes. Okay. We don't get to okay. that. Right. We, need, yes. we need to get this one in, and then I'll, I'll shut up. Written by Sam Watley, it was written in July of 2015, and I'm going to read a few paragraphs from it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want you to go to the Internet and look up the whole thing. It's a good one. He says, The Bible has been translated into English for hundreds of years by scholars and theologians, but occasionally it comes to light that our language has changed so much that another interpretation of a word may be more accurate. Some 30 years ago, I heard that said about the word meek, and I think he's absolutely correct. He goes on to say, Jesus creates, and I'm skipping, so don't, don't think that I'm reading the whole thing. Jesus creates a strange image by saying, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. The apostle Paul speaks of the meekness and gentleness of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10, 1. A casual reading of these verses today would give you a mental picture of meekness that is far from the forceful image common in Bible times. Our dictionary defines meek as easily imposed upon, submissive, spineless, and he's correct. That's true. I'm not. But once you realize that this word is a translation of a Greek military term, you get an entirely different picture. Here's the picture, and here's the Greek word, and now we'll read again. The Greek word praeus, and I think I'm pronouncing that right, Mike, was used to define a horse trained for battle. Praeus, yes. Uh-huh. Praeus. While stallions were brought down from the mountains and broken for riding, some were used to pull wagons, some were raced, and the best were trained for warfare. They trained their fierce, retained their fierce spirit courage and power but were disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge or word or pressure of the rider's leg they would gallop into battle at 35 miles per hour and come to a sliding stop at a word they were not frightened by arrows spears or torches then they were said to be meeked that was their character to be meeked was taken would would be to be taken from a state of wild rebellion and made completely loyal to and dependent upon one's master. It is also to be taken from an atmosphere of fearfulness and made unflinching in the presence of danger. Some war horses dove from ravines into rivers in pursuit of their quarry. Some charged into the face of exploding cannons, as in Lord Tennyson's expressed in his poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade. These stallions became submissive, but certainly not spineless. They embodied power under control, strength with forbearance. And that, that's a fantastic example. And I can tell you, having been up close and personal with the Clydesdales, oh, huge animals, you can see this expression, this whole disposition in their eye. You can see this disposition in these animals. 
that they've been trained. I'm sure not as much as this war horse. But you can see this huge animal, and it looks at you and lets you pet it. But you know that really this is a powerful animal. That I'm doing do. this out of the and, kindness yes, of my and he heart. Yes, he's just been trained to do this, you see. Now, this word you mentioned here, this meekness that he, this praus that he mentions, is the word that's used in, see, we've been applying it to men, but it's used, one of the best uses of it is in First Peter 3 about um, the woman that they that even if this man will not obey the word that if he has a wife who is a christian they may without a word be won by the conduct of their wives that's your chaste conduct accompanied by respect that's first peter 3 verse 3 now do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel see this is the modern Right. Kim Kardashian woman and all the others who fluff, who spend all their time on Instagram doing selfies and tilting their hip and puffing their lips, you know. But rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle or meek and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. That's the same word as used here, as used there and the other passages in the New Testament, gentle. So this is applies to women. Women need to have this strength under control, a meek spirit. And yet today, what's honored by the younger women is a, being a boss babe. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, Gary, yeah. but they want to be a boss babe. How does being a boss babe and having this meek and quiet spirit, the inner person, not being concerned with all the outer stuff, but the inner stuff, how does that fit? It doesn't fit together, you see. So especially Christian fathers and mothers need to be training their daughters not to be the boss babe, but to have a meek and quiet spirit. Well, one, one, one quick one, and then we're going to be out of time. He says in the last paragraph here, you see, we too are being trained for warfare, and he's talking about Christians. We are in a warfare. We are doing battle. In Revelation, well, pardon me, in Second Corinthians 10, he Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God and pulling down strongholds. He goes on in the next verse saying, we do this with the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity and obedience of Christ. Right. That's what we need to be doing. That's the meekness. And so I'm going to read you my definition and I'm going to shut up. Okay, we all got, we got about a minute and a half, so you've okay. got plenty of time. Meek. As used in the scripture is one, fearless power and strength under the control of God. Two, it is gentle and mild in nature or behavior. Three, it is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. And four, it is easily taught and led by the word of God. That's okay. my definition. That, that's so, those are some of the characteristics or definitions of meekness. Yeah, so, it's a great study, and it's one that's... It really it seems like it would have no application, but as far as the modern context of what the world is teaching young people to be, it is, and, and, and all that is really right on the money. This is such a core characteristic of Christianity, and yet what it doesn't mean is that we should just roll over and let the world have its way with the church and with our children. That's for sure. Because well, we're in warfare with We're them. in a warfare, and meekness is our weapon. Well, we better wrap this up. Thank you for listening today. We appreciate it. We're, we'll probably have another recorded show next week. I'm not sure how I'm going to be feeling. But in any event, we would invite you 
to tune in again next week at WPSL at 9 o'clock for We Are Just Christians. We invite you to take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com, as well as uh, uh, to, to get the podcast off that website for the radio show and for the sermons. Visit us at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd be glad to have you. You're not going to be asked for money, and no one is going to embarrass you. Just come and see what ordinary people trying to follow the New Testament do for worship, and join us if you can. May God bless you, and tune in again next week. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie, on WPSL Port St. Lucie.